Joan, I appreciate you dancing along to that music. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the a vibe. Uh, common good. I love it. Common good podcast theme song that you know makes the dogs start barking in the world of those watching the uh, the regular podcast. And today is a Wednesday when you hear that little song, and that means that we talk about faith and we talk about ways that the faith can be about the common good, the way that uh, people are expressing their faith in the world. And super excited, Jonah, to have you here. As I was joking with you earlier, mm-hmm. we do consider this a a common good podcast life goal complete. Now yeah. that we've <laughs> we had the privilege of having Jonah Overton on this on this podcast. Hey, I'm Doug uh, Padgett from Minneapolis. It's Dan over there in Michigan. There's uh, Jonah right in between us if you're talking about states in Wisconsin, Milwaukee. So if you're in the chat, let us know where you're saying hello from and where you're watching from and, and how things are there. Jonah, for no, no good reason at all other than we do share the weather in common as human beings. We like to chat about the weather. It's going to be 68 and sunny in Minneapolis today. H- how are things looking are you for serious? you all in Milwaukee? Yeah, so it's wow, coming your way. just a, f- a few hours uh, southeast of you. We are in the 40s today. Um, it's oh. it's sunny and beautiful, but it might hit fifty. I don't know. We, it, it's that lake effect. We're we're on we're on the big lake, and uh, I it's my absolute favorite. But it does does chill the the springtime sometimes. Yeah, on the other side of the lake here, it is equally cold. So oh yeah, down here in Southwest Michigan. Mm, yeah. Well, it, it's coming your way if the weather keeps uh, moving as it tends to do from west to east. So it's all right. I'll take it. Bring me that sixty-eight. It's a it's a coming. Uh, hey Jonah, uh, so excited about about your church, the Zhao um, MKE Church, and the MKE is a reference to Milwaukee for people that, it is. that don't know that. Um, Z A O. So yeah. MKE Church is the the name of the church and also where people can find it, you know, uh, Z-A-O-M-K-E.org. That's a, that's a curious series of letters, uh, by the way. Yeah. Can, can we start there? <laughs> can we start there? Absolutely. Because there's, yeah. right, there's, great, there's great meaning to, to those six letters, the, Z, the Z-A-O, you know what that means. It's a great word. You can tell us about that. Yeah. And then it's also, you know, locally rooted in, in Milwaukee. And when you're a church start person, as you did, uh, I think you said seven years ago, you don't accidentally end up with a church name, right? That's one of the no. things you think a lot about uh, as, a, yeah. as a church starter. Um, so t- tell us about this name and the meaning behind it and, and all of this. Yeah, well, first of all, I can't tell you how many times people have spelled it Zoa, Z-O-A. It's a Zao, Z-A-O. I, I like to say Zao rhymes with wow, um, <laughs> uh, because we're just so... Wow. Um, but yeah, Zao MKE Church. Zao is a Greek word. Um, it's from the the New Testament, the Christian Bible, and it means to be among the living. Um, so it, it shows up a couple of times, um, you know, out of the mouth of Jesus, um, as you know, as recorded in the Gospels, uh, Jesus saying, you know, our God is a God of the living, not of the dead. Um, and and that's Zao. Um when uh when he's talking about resurrection and a Zao to be alive again. Um, so, you know, Zao is a community that, um, you know, comes out of a desire to be fully alive, um, a desire to be fully included in the life of the church, a desire to explore what it means to experience eternal life here and now. My, my experience of, um, of deeply conservative evangelical church communities was really complicated. Um, some of it was so beautiful and really rooted me in a relationship with Jesus and a community that um, 
was deeply compassionate towards one another. But there was also uh, a real obsession with death. And it, it, you know, my experience of at least my own communities was that there was such a hyper focus on what happened after we died, this idea of sort of getting your ticket into heaven, um, that, that it really denigrated life. Um, and, and it, it felt really contrary to the gospel to me um, to focus so much on what happens after death that we lose track of life mm. because the idea of salvation, the idea of eternal life is that the, the beauty, the gift, the creative gift that God has, um, has given us in, in the world, in our lives, in our bodies, that those things actually do not end in death, but continue on for eternity um, in some way. And, uh, and finding a way to embrace that rather than ditching this and saying like, ah, well, this world is spent and this body is garbage and, you know, and, and just saying, well, I'll get a better one in yeah. heaven. I'll get a, you know, I'll, right. get, I'll have the mansion in heaven. Yeah, it's like, well, no, no, no. Like, yeah, like this is, this earth is the gift. This body is the gift. This community is the gift. Um, and we are called to be stewards of it. So what does it mean to be fully alive now in a way that, that links us to eternity, that, that um, creates those pathways to liberation, salvation for all, not only in eternity, but here and now as part of eternity. Hmm. So, you know, that's, that's what Zao means to me to get, to get real deep, real heavy, real quick. No, I'm That's um, what we do. Yeah, beautiful. no, that's great. Love because so, so you, you picked a word that said, this is the story we want to tell, right? This is Absolutely. the thing we want. When people think of us, literally think of our name, we want them conjuring up this idea, I think it's genius in the sense that people have to ask what it means, right? Because it's a word from another language. So people yeah. are forced to say, how do you pronounce it? Or what is it? Like, that's maybe not great marketing all the time, right? <laughs> uh, but I don't know the yeah. way lots of, you know, I don't know, online things are spelled with multiple L's and no vowels and stuff. I think it, I think it sort of works. But even oh, more yeah. than the marketing shtick, it, it's really kind of genius to say to people, hey, around here, we're talking about something that we often don't know how to talk about or literally and metaphorically even know how to spell, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's mm-hmm. something, something really great. Okay. Talk about the MKE part. Uh, and then I want to go back to, to this Zao business because you're really, it's important yeah. to you to be rooted in Milwaukee, like you're, you're this yes. living expression of life, God breathed life, but you're in a place and place and body r- seems to, seems to matter. It matters. Particularly yeah. To you all. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's wild because due to the pandemic, um, we really invested in, uh, technology to make us accessible, uh, from all kinds of places. And so now we actually have community all over the country, all over the world, people, um, joining us for virtual services on Sundays, um, people engaging with the community by listening to the podcast that we put out, um, people involved in even just like our online Facebook group. Um, the, we call it the squad page, um, where people share memes and life and, you know, so people are connecting from all over the place, but from wherever they are, we, we encourage people to be rooted, grounded in, in their particularity. Um, you know, Jesus, uh, one of the things that that makes the the person the story of Jesus so compelling is that God you know God is not just this kind of like ephemeral ethereal idea um God is uh God is rooted uh in a time and place in a body with a name with um with brothers and sisters with parents with neighbors and and saying hey you know we want to 
follow Jesus in both being, um, you know, citizens of all creation connected to all things through the body of Christ and particularly committed to our particularity. Like, Mm. you know, what is, what is the body that God has given me, um, stewardship over? What is the, what is the earth in front of me, beneath me, um, that I'm called to be in relationship with? And so, you know, we went hard. We, we got here to Milwaukee. Um, there is kind of a beautiful visual, uh, symmetry to the ZAO MKE. Um, but, and I think there's a lot of Milwaukee pride. We're not the only ones, um, mm-hmm. you know, with our, with our little Milwaukee pride over here. But, um, but I, I do think that like finding yourself, um, finding your faith as being connected to the material world, um, mm-hmm. the relational world immediately around you, um, can, can be really powerful, can be really powerful. Yeah, I, I'm not sure, how, you know, all the time what I think about Christian theology's explanation of things, you know, like the incarnation and so on, the the word becomes flesh and dwells among us as a theological concept. I think it's been mm. really uh, used and worked up in some ways that aren't very great. But in the sort of average human context, we understand what it means when something that's an idea or is said becomes actual reality is born, mm. uh, is a place, is flesh, it be, it is people. Yeah. And and I, I know a bit of your story, so I'm going to sort of give you some leading questions on this. Sure. You, some people start churches um, because they're sent by a denomination or they're sent by a group that's trying to extend the brand. Some people do it because this is what they've done for their life and it's what they're good at and they want to offer their gift to the world. Some people start churches because they're scratching an internal itch or filling an internal mm. person personal need as well, right? And and when someone says, "Well, who's who? Who you think who's this church for?" They answer that question in a in a really different way. Can you can you talk a bit about the starting of this of this church and this phrase that you all use, which is Jesus rooted and justice centered and radically inclusive? Like those are words, frankly, Jonah, that you don't often hear in progressive circles. You don't often hear those four, those three sets together: Jesus rooted, justice centered, and radically inclusive. A lot yeah. of people don't have a, you know, a pronoun they uh, leader and pastor, like the the people of Zao uh, MKE get to have in you. So, I mean, you're blending together some narratives that a lot of people see set apart from one another. And and I'm wondering just how all that goes into what you were getting at when, when you and, and Cameron and others went to start this church. If Cameron was there at the beginning, I, I can't quite re- remember. He, he, he came, he came real quickly, but, okay. uh, but in the beginning it was just, just me and my cat. Um, okay. yeah. So, uh, yeah, thank you for that. I, I am, I am a trans non-binary person. I am a person who identifies with a lot of things that most people would find uh, dichotomous or contradictory. Um, and part of my story is that I am a deeply spiritual person um, who in many ways still identifies as an evangelical um, in the sense of, you know, some of the culture that really speaks to me, some of the worship um patterns that, uh, that cultivated my faith. Um, even some of the, the language and phrases about how I describe my relationship with Jesus and, um, and how personal that is to me. Um, and I am a, you know, 
uh, a leftist and a political organizer. I'm, um, I was a community organizer before I was a church planter. And to me, those things are not contradictory at all. Um, and, and so, you know, as I was discovering myself as a queer and trans person, the, those things became actually more accessible to me the more deeply I dove into my faith. And the more I dive into my queerness and my transness, the more it loops me back to God and theology mm-hmm. and God's good creation. And so, uh, you know, as I'm, I'm seeing who God created me to be, how God is calling me to act for justice in the world, I'm longing for my church community to kind mm-hmm. of like swell up with me in the streets to fight for justice, to advocate for people to be the fullness of who God created them to be. And I'm looking around and it's feeling real lonely. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I found different communities that would affirm different parts of, wow. uh, of all of those things, right? You know, there were evangelical communities that would love to have me come, you know, lead a small group or, uh, or a women's retreat or, you know, whatever. But, um, but, you know, the minute I, I tried to engage, um, even just some of the work of structural justice and anti-racism, much less my own identity as a queer and trans person. Uh, you know, it was, it was an emergency um, mm. of the worst kind. And uh, so I knew that I wasn't, you know, ultimately I, it wasn't safe for me in those communities. Um, and I, I actually um, didn't grow up in the evangelical church. My dad is an ELCA Lutheran pastor. So mainline progressive Lutheran, um, and, uh, so I had some great support in those areas, but when I came of faith, you know, when I came of age in my faith as a, as an adolescent and in my early twenties, all of that was among, you know, sort of non-denom evangelicals. And so in my early twenties, I decided, okay, I want a theological education. Let me, I'll go back to the Lutherans. I, I trust them. They, you know, they got a lot of good books. And I went and I saw a beautiful expression of faith, just gorgeous, um, and people feeling really connected to God and and compelled to do some of the justice work, the inclusion work. And yet the the culture was completely different. Um, it was robes and hymns. It wasn't, you know, lights and hillsong. Um, it was um, it was often talking more about God and about love than necessarily specifically about Jesus. Um, and all of those things, you know, I felt like a visitor in someone else's community and someone else's, else's faith. And I thought, this is, this is gorgeous. I love this for you. Um, but it's just not home. You know, I just, I, I was looking, I was looking for something that, that could recognize, hold, support, develop all of me. Um, and I knew that I wasn't alone, actually. The more that I talked to people, the more I realized there were a lot of people who, um, identified with some parts of evangelicalism and other parts of, uh, you know, of themselves, their identity, their relationships, their call to justice were just not seen and supported by their communities. But they didn't want to walk away from the, the communities, the places that had really connected them to, to God and had given them a sense of purpose, identity, and their faith and spirituality. Um, you know, and we could, we could all be guests, you know, in, in progressive mainline 
spaces, but it was never really home. And so I was organizing churches for years before I uh, got involved with a church plant um, and realized that actually part of what God is doing in the world is not just working through the institutions that are, um, but calling new new communities into being. And um and and that God had been kind of gifting me with some of those basic skill sets around organizing and organizational development and spiritual leadership uh, to be able to be a part of that project of bringing new life, new spiritual community into the world. Um, and and in the end, you know, I just wanted a place where I could go to church. I wanted a place where I could be developed boldly in my faith for Jesus and in my study of the scriptures um, as a queer and trans person in a way that supported and propelled me um, in my my call to justice. Um, and there, you know, for me, that meant bringing in all of these different kind of elements of identity and evangelicalism and, um, and, and faith and community. And, uh, yeah, I a whole host of logistical reasons kind of sent me to Milwaukee, which is not where I'm from. Um, Hmm. And so I showed up in this city with the names and phone numbers of two people who lived in my neighborhood. Um, and and the job of starting a church. So we started in my living room and I think it felt like a real gamble, you know, are there going to be people who who want to be, you know, really Jesus forward? Like that's why that phrase Jesus rooted justice centered radically inclusive. It starts with Jesus because there are I think there are a lot of progressive communities, um, for, for bad reasons or for great reasons who kind of, uh, who, who background Jesus a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, um, in that moment, for the community I was called to build, um, we needed to foreground Jesus. Jesus needed to be, uh, at the heart, at the center, at the root. And, um, and so, so we start always with Jesus, but, you know, when I, when I look at Jesus, I don't see the blue eyed, blonde haired surfer Jesus, um, that we see plastered all over America. We, I don't see patriot Jesus. Um, I don't see precious moments. Everybody get along Jesus. I see a brown skinned, uh, Palestinian Jewish peasant organizer who was, um, you know, leading a movement to oppose the Roman empire. And, what a great place to start. <laughs> yeah. What a great yeah. place to start for a radical faith. Yeah. I'd love to hear um, you talk more about that. Uh, in, in our travels, we you know, meet with a lot of pastors and churches, and there seems to be this real hesitation, uh, even from progressive churches that are into ideas of justice, to actually get on the streets in direct action and protest and get into politics and that sort of thing. People get worried about their nonprofit status and things like that. Which is wild. Yeah. Could you just talk? Because some people are reckless with it and not getting in trouble at all. (laughs) (laughs) Talk a little bit more about the role of the church in direct action and in politics and how you see Jesus leading us into that. Oh yeah. You know, personally for years before I was a, a a church planter as a community organizer, it was my job to help churches understand their rights and their role and their call by Jesus, by God into the streets, into the fray. I mean, politics comes from the word polis, which just means 
you know, the people, right? This is the politics is the work of the people. It's, it's what it means to be a body. And so when we talk about the body of Christ, we're already talking about politics, the negotiations of what it means to be people together in this world, to care for one another, to care for creation, to provide for one another, to protect one another. That's what politics is. Um, it just doesn't feel that way because it's going really badly <laughs> a lot of the time. Um, and so, you know, I see that as, as just like a fundamentally human thing. Um, and one that, that because it's so human needs to be informed by any faith or spirituality that matters to us. Um, but also I think we see very clearly Jesus setting examples of what it means to be uh, political and an organizer. I, we, we just came through Easter a couple, you know, almost a month ago. Um, and actually one of our favorite, uh, and most raucous Sundays at Zao is, is actually Palm Sunday, which we have, have kind of dubbed, uh, in our community protest Sunday. And, the reason is because, you know, we, we talk about Palm Sunday and Jesus's march into Jerusalem mm. as though it's sort of like a parade and, and not just a parade, but like a spontaneous parade where like, you know, Jesus is just such a celebrity that he shows up and, and like the, the paparazzi are there and the screaming fans are there. But we actually like get details in the gospels where beforehand Jesus is like, Yo, like there's, we, we need some supplies. We're going to be marching into Jerusalem. Um, I need you to go to this place, talk to these people, get this donkey. Yeah, get right? the donkey. Like, yep. there's, <laughs> there's so much planning. And not only that, and this, I think one of the ways that Empire really um, just uh, absolutely undermines um, our faith and, and separates us from the radical call to justice is by decontextualizing all of scripture. And, mm. you know, we are, we are 2000 years removed from the New Testament, many, many more, uh, from parts of the Hebrew scriptures. And, and so it's hard for us to always know, um, all the things that would, that would contextualize and shed light on each of these stories. Right. But it's not that hard. And we do have historians. So one of the things that I didn't learn until after I had been, been in seminary, like I, I was in seminary, no longer in seminary, still learning new things about the Bible. And I got so mad that I had, I was in my mid twenties. I'd been studying the Bible for my whole life and had never learned until my mid twenties that on the day of, uh, of Palm Sunday, on the day of the procession into Jerusalem, that Jesus's procession was not the only procession that day headed into Jerusalem. I didn't know. No one had ever told me that coming in from the opposite side of the city was the Roman military in like a military parade, right? Because, you know, this is the season of Passover. Uh, everybody gets a little bit, you know, rebellious when talking about um, right. their liberation from slavery mm -hmm. um, while still living under Roman occupation. So the, the Romans are going to come in with their military might, with their political dominance, um, that, that dominance political strategy, their violent political strategy, and remind everybody that they're in charge. And so the Romans are coming in from their beach house on the west off the sea, um, and Jesus is coming in from the east from, you know, all of these peasant villages where he's been organizing for three years to square off and say, who's really 
Who's the real power here? Who wins in the end? Is it violence or is it justice? Is it violence or is it liberation? Is it empire or is it God? Wow. Is it love? Is it freedom? And so to me, that there's like, it's so powerful. It's so political. Like Jesus right. could not have been more political in that moment. And, and you see it play out over the next few days. That's when he's, you know, throwing tables around and challenging um, all kinds of religious authorities and eventually is publicly executed by the occupying state. So, you know, I, I, I actually find it really fascinating that, that empire driven, nationalist oriented, uh, so called Christianity has been able to so deeply disconnect us from Jesus, the political organizer, that it feels foreign to us that our faith yeah. would compel us to challenge systems of power and oppression because that's what Jesus was doing day in, day out. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's why when we say Jesus rooted, the next thing we say is justice centered because that's, that's the natural, you know, you root yourself in Jesus and you spring up works of justice. Absolutely. You know, that, that is such, such a great way to think about it. And when someone doesn't recognize, as you clearly have recognized, the, the multiple options that the, the gospel text gives to people as both, um, spiritual archetypes, but also just human relational archetypes, Yeah, you begin to see, look, there are other options. There's ways that the, you know, that the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were tied in with the Romans Mm. in the political system. The middle management. Absolutely. Yeah. Sort of like embedded with the same narrative just to, to get along to to you know, get along or however the phrase goes, go along to get along. Yeah. So, so there, th- th- that's an option. There was a group of people who lived up in the hills, right? The the Essenes and others who were just staying out of all of it. They just moved out mm-hmm. of Jerusalem, lived in a little community, and tried to form their own way of life. And there's Jesus narrative where he's in the mix, he's in the places, he's contrasting ideas, he's saying, give to God what is God, and to Caesar what is Caesar's, and figure out how you live in both of these worlds in a way. That is that that is right and is faithful. Well, those are the same options people feel like exist today, right? There's yeah. stay out of it, uh, get you know, make an enclave. There's just be so embedded inside the system that you're of no value to those who mm. are oppressed by the system. And then there's this other way, and it feels like that's the thing that uh, at different times in society we're, we're still longing for and we're still craving. And figuring that out is not is not an easy path, especially when you pick that route, as you say, that then ends in physical violence brought against not only Jesus, yeah. but the followers and, um, you know, an execution by both the, the Roman system and also complicit with the religious system of the day. That's really where, where this stuff gets hard. There's going to be some loss in this, right? You're not going to have the same privileges that the insiders have and you don't have the same privileges that the stay out of it has you end up in this in this other space in this other other way of being it how how are people taking into that um in in the in the religious world that that you're around like how 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 are we all getting it yeah yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's really difficult. It's the most confrontational, right? It's the most contentious way to do your faith is to say, I'm going to firmly root myself in my spirituality and to to have some boundaries 
with empire, with systems of power so that I don't get swept up in them, so that I don't end up believing the lie that if I just follow the rules enough, then maybe someday I'll have power to change it, even though it's rewarded me for not changing it the whole way, right? And and it's also not an escape to say, hey, we're just going to start our own little thing over here and good luck to y'all. Um, to do the Jesus thing as you're, as you're outlining that, that, that kind of in between means having like a really firmly rooted identity, um, that you are not a part of this empire, but that you are called to engage with it, to challenge it, to push it, to call it out, um, to have a prophetic imagination about what's possible, um, beyond what you're being told is possible. And I think that all of those things are so hard that we can only do them if we are grounded, rooted um, in the power, love, mm. uh, and support of the Holy Spirit um, and of, of God. And that the way that we can tap into that power is through community. I think that's why we're gifted with the church. And the church can mean many different things, right? I don't want to limit what the church can look like, especially when the empire has its own version of church that it replicates over and over and over again, right? But we are called to be in spiritual community with one another so that we have the strength and support to maintain our sense of values, our our memory of what the call to liberation is, um, our hope in the kingdom as it is coming, and engage with the world as it is to push it just that much further toward freedom. Uh, and I, I think that it's it's really difficult. And when it, and when we get practical about it, you know, I think Dan, you had asked before about getting people like actually getting out into the streets. You know, we we I'm, I'm looking out at my street. I'm looking out at one of the streets that we have <laughs> occupied uh, with signs um, and chants and loudspeakers and all that good stuff. And I think it's really hard because the church wants to be so respectable. The church wants, you know, I see the church much more often picking that middle management, Sadducee, Pharisee, go along mm, to get along yeah. strategy. And there seems to be a real push to be like this, quote, third way, which mm-hmm. often usually just supports the status yeah. quo. Like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Really frustrating me. But yeah. Keep going. Yeah. I mean, people, because people know, people know that it's supposed to be something else, right? But, but it feels it's just the the draw that draw of power that draw of empire that draw of of stasis is so strong that to disrupt it i mean we are called to be countercultural we are ca- called to be revolutionary and i think that's where and and this is where you know churches that support empire really emphatically take take the the radical call of the gospel and twist it, turn it on its head um, because they say, oh, well, being countercultural is being homophobic, right? They say like, well, we're not supposed oh, to go along with culture and culture is is loving of, you know, LGBT people. So to be countercultural, it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you got the whole wrong culture you're you're measuring against, right? We're, we are called to be counter to the culture of dominance, to the culture of oppression, to the culture of power and privilege, the powers and principalities that that allow some to benefit at the cost of the many. So when we are when we're trying to be bold and follow Jesus, to me and to my community, that means at some level we gotta we gotta pick up our palm fronds that say Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter and march into the street 
even if it means that we're going to be squaring off right up against the police or the government or or the Roman military regalia. And we have that example of Jesus doing just that with his followers. Um, and, and, you know, so I believe that we can be, that we can be that bold. I believe that we can take those risks together. And, and that's the real key. You know, how do you go into the street with a sign by yourself? That's just, it's just not good, not good organizing. Um, right. and, like a street preacher at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which, you know, maybe it's not a bad thing every once in a while to go, to go stand by, by oneself. Um, can, can we nerd out on a little theology for a second? Because I think oh, it's, I think it's, it's quite, uh, you're, you're a great partner for this. I'm thinking back to your comments about using Jesus as the frame by which churches understand themselves. There's certain cultures of religion, Christianity in particular, that talk about Jesus, and there's the other versions that talk about Christ. Mm. And these two were, it's been so curious. And I've sat in many rooms with progressives where progressives yeah. are like, man, when you evangelicals start using Jesus language like that, like yeah. getting all first, getting all first name, I talk about <laughs> Christ and Christ consciousness and title of, you know, resurrected Christ who's ascended the throne and Mm-hmm. And the and I come from the side Christ. the cosmic Christ, yeah, right. And, and and I come from the side that's like, look, I mean, the gospels are first name basis stuff. I mean, we literally yeah. even name the gospels, you know, with with nicknames, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, this kind of thing. And and you mostly know names and not first names and not titles, and it's it's kind of built, built that way. But I think there's something there, right? I feel like there's a side of the the movement that needs a little more personal element to it, mm. a little more Jesus. Yeah. And I think sometimes some of the, you know, Jesus crowd that I come from get a little buddy Jesus about the whole thing or a little mm. you know, boyfriend, boyfriend Jesus kind of, Jesus kind of vibe. Is my boyfriend, yeah. yep. <laughs> As opposed to, oh, also the notion of Christ, that's a claim of authority, right? That's, that's mm. a, that's a contrast to Caesar, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's a political kind of systemic narrative. So it seems like, I don't know, that both the first name and a title together are, are kind of a right foot, left foot, right brain, left brain, I, I don't know, sweet and sour con- combination that feels, like a, that feels like a good one, right? Where it's not just Hey, guy hits the street and says, man, you guys don't know what you're, you know, you don't know what you're doing. You should change. That's not, I mean, Jesus isn't just a street protester yelling at the latest thing. Like, you know, give me sign that says birds aren't real and I'll hit the street with that one because, you know, someone needs to hear the message that there's actually something going on of it, organizing a different way for human systems to thrive and function that cares about all this stuff and re- really wants it to be different, doesn't just want to complain that it's broken. So I don't know. Do you, do you have any thoughts about that? Because that's, that's rolling Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, my my little non-binary heart gets all excited whenever we get to talk about you know, right these like divergent things that come together, fully human, fully divine, um, the Jesus and the Christ. I think, you know, I, I love the idea of of Christ as as the universal, Christ as the risen Christ is the one who saves all. Um, and I, I do think that there is something really valuable about Jesus that, that we miss when we go so global, right? Feminist theologian Rosemary Radford Ruther 
um, eco-theologian as well. Uh, she wrote about how these ideas of femininity and masculinity, especially as they kind of played out from, from Greek culture, like they really shaped how we talk about God the, and, and gender. That what is ethereal, what is an idea, um, what is kind of airy and masculine, like that's, that's God in kind of this big, broad idea sense. And that's, that's acceptable. And that's the, that's the Christ. That's the risen Messiah. But what is earthly, what is messy, physical, bloody, right? Like all of these things are from her perspective, the feminine. Um, and not, and not her perspective. She didn't make this up. She's observing these patterns, mostly from Greek philosophy, right? But we have, you know, ideas are good, bodies are bad. We even see this in Paul, right? The, the flesh, oh, the flesh, mm-hmm. right? And that the flesh is actually associated with femininity, um, whereas the idea, the mind, the spirit, the soul, these all get associated with masculinity. And so her call, uh, you know, part of where she goes with this is like, this is why we denigrate the earth, because the earth, because in a in a patriarchal misogynist culture, we denigrate that which we associate with femininity. We we stop caring for the earth. I'm I'm going somewhere with all of this, I swear. Which you don't is even need to be. I, it's still great to hear, even if you're going nowhere. I, uh, counterintuitively, right, because no one would accuse conservative evangelicalism of being feminist. Um, I do think that owning that particularity, celebrating Jesus, the person who had a human body, Jesus who ate and slept and and, you know, had bodily functions to take care of, um, that Jesus as a member of humanity, mm-hmm. um, the creation as physical and finite, that these things are really, really valuable in part because they place us in the story as well. And maybe that's where it really gets out of hand with the Jesus is my buddy, Jesus is my boyfriend kind of a thing where like we become, we get main character syndrome and we're like, oh, this story is really about me and my bestie Jesus. And I get to forget <laughs> the rest of creation. Right. Yeah. Um, but the flip side of that is to say like, oh, well, God's doing this thing up here and isn't God great. And now I get to not think about it and go on with the rest of my life. Um, and so I, I think that when we are at our best, we're bringing these things together and saying, okay, here is the God who is universal, who is everywhere all at once, who is throughout creation and beyond my imagination. And here is Jesus who is like right here, who like had a body, who, um, who does speak to me personally, who invites me as an individual person to take a place in this story of eternity where I have a job and a role. I have an invitation to participate. Um, and, and that's when we get compelled into the streets. I think the beauty of, of Jesus Christ is that, we know that God is at work. We know that liberation wins. We know that salvation um, and resurrection is is how the story ends. But we are also, as as individual finite human beings, invited to participate in that, to mm-hmm. take our part in the narrative and the story. God's going to win either way. Love is going to win in the end, no matter what. But we get the opportunity to join with the person Jesus to to follow His example, and and to be a participant in turning hate into love, mm-hmm. to be a participant in God's work of saving all things 
for love and connection and liberation and joy. So yeah, I, I love it. I love, I love the combo. I, I will always err. This is just my evangelical roots, but I will always err on the Jesus side of things. Um, and maybe it's culture, it's culture too, but, but yeah, love, love me a good Jesus combo. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Hey, can, can I ask you about the, the, the use of they, which is the pronoun yeah. you use for yourself? This is something that for a lot of people, they're figuring out, right? They've, mm-hmm. I don't know, went to a church or a conference or had to fill out a name tag and all, or yeah. an online form. And all of a sudden people are like, what pronoun do you use? And they're like, uh, is that a thing? Yeah. I, you know, like, do truly, I have to go back to grammar class? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and not, you know, confused about how to use pronouns. Um, but it's a big deal in the English language. And if you don't think pronouns are a big deal, just use the wrong one for someone and you'll find out how fast someone corrects you, right? So apparently people who think it's not a big deal, we shouldn't worry about it, feel differently once it's misapplied, right? And they yeah. feel some some disconnect with it. Um, so I, I recognize that it's it's not, people are in different time zones as far as waking up to this issue, right? It's, you know, where it's Absolutely. nighttime in one part of the earth, it's it's morning somewhere else. Okay, so people are coming to this differently and they don't often aren't in situations where they talk about it, right? It's it's almost like, hey, we're not going to be all woke and use pronouns around here, or you better believe we're, you know, put your pronoun in your name tag and don't don't, don't ask questions about it, right? It becomes a little stuck for people. And they're just like, yeah, I don't know any theys. I don't know who to who to talk to. Uh, I know you're very comfortable talking about this and and, and bring it up and help help people talk about it. Can you share your own story and give any insight you want for people who are trying to understand the importance of pronouns and the importance of someone understanding their own gender in relationship to themselves and and to other people in society. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and I guess I'll just start by saying like, we don't have to have it all figured out to be kind and loving and faithful people. Um, I, it's wild. I, there's a, a new community member at Zao, um, been, been attending for, um, I don't know, maybe six weeks now. And we finally got to go out to coffee. Um, and this person uh, has been, you know, in more conservative evangelical spaces their whole life before um, meeting up with me, or before finding Zhao, um, really finding a home at Zhao in the community broadly, and then uh, grabbing coffee with me. And and so like this person has been, you know, listening to me preach for months now, um, has been engaged in this community. And and it wasn't even the first thing out of their mouth, but it, maybe two thirds of the way through our coffee, they were like, okay, so you're non-binary. What is that? Um, and, and what, tell me about these pronouns. So what I found really fascinating was that this person was able to, you know, and, and when they, when I asked them, you know, what brought you to Zao? What keeps you at Zao? They're like, well, the teachings are so biblical. The teachings, you know, I, I really feel like it's making me think and it, it feels very faithful. I feel the, the presence of God here. And so I think that that's part of it for us is, is kind of understanding that wherever we are in our journey with understanding gender or pronouns, that if we are following, um, you know, if we are following God, if we are following our faith, if we're following best practices of being a kind and generous human being, that we'll, we'll learn what we need to learn in time. But like this person did not have to like, you know, raise the alarm and say, hold on, everybody. I'm not going to learn about <laughs> Jesus from this they them until I get some explanations. Nor did they 
did they say like, oh no, I have to figure this out before I can be here. I'm not allowed mm-hmm. to be here until I understand all it, right? So I think just being in relationship, I was really impressed with this person's ability to just be present and and then learn as they went. Now notice I have used the pronouns they, them for this person during this entire story. You don't know the gender of this person um, and I'm being vague and mm-hmm. and so I'm using they, them, theirs. So your imagination may have filled in some gender or other, or it may mm. not have. And and that's the beauty of they, them, is that in the English language, they, them is the, is the set of words we use to describe somebody whose gender is either unknown or, or something other than he or she. Um, and, and that's what it is for me. So, um, you know, this is a real public conversation we're having now. But I tell you, I've done a lot of they, them, non-binary, what is non-binary education in my life because I have been out as a trans and non-binary person for more than a decade. And there was also a time when I didn't know what those things were. I knew that something was different about me. I knew that I didn't really understand other people's relationship to gender. I knew that I wasn't a man. I didn't think I was a woman either, which is what everyone had kind of told me I was. Um, but I thought, well, gender must just entirely be a construction. And I was reading enough philosophy that I was like, okay, gender is a social construction. And it's normal that I just like completely don't relate to any of this. And then I started talking to more people about their gender and realized actually there are a lot of people who identify very, very deeply as women or as men. And then I was like, well, okay, something, <laughs> something else must be going yeah. on. For me. Wow. And it wasn't until I was, a, I was able to meet other trans people and have some of these discussions. I met other non-binary people and we would talk about gender and I would be like, yes, yes, that, you know, there are some people who are non-binary, um, which you know, for context, non-binary means that you identify as something other than a man or a woman. There's, we're, we're given these kind of two options, binary options, man, woman, and, and told that that's kind of our only, our only frame of reference. But for those of us who just know that we are outside of those two options, um, it's, it's been hard to have language to even mm-hmm. find one another to, to talk about it, to come to some agreements about how we talk about ourselves. Um, you know, personally, non-binary isn't even the term that I would choose to describe myself. I would choose the term genderqueer. Um, personally, I probably wouldn't pick they, them um, as my pronouns. I would pick some neo-pronouns. You know, some people go by like zizim, zir. Um, yeah. it, it makes more sense to me to have a third option rather than kind of the, the unknown. Um, but but I say all of those things. Actually, what I want more than anything is to be recognizable um, as who I am in conversation with others. And what the collective is leaning towards is saying, we understand what non-binary means. We understand what they, them means. And so those are the terms. But for me, my non-binary identity is about saying, hey, actually, there's just something insufficient about either of these categories. I, I, there are parts of me that would fit into the category man. There are parts of me that would fit into the category woman. There are parts of me that just sort of are something else entirely. And I've met enough other people like me and we, we can say together non-binary and recognize one another. Um, and there have been people who are trans and non-binary forever. It is a mm-hmm. part of God's mm-hmm. good creation. It is a part of an expression of humanity. Um, but there have been 
different cultures and times and places that have been variously supportive and um, held space for trans people and non-binary people and gender non-conforming people and communities, cultures um, like like the one that we're in that have for a yeah. long time really suppressed that. I was still trans when I was, you know, 15 and, uh, and, uh, and I, and technically identifying as a girl just because I didn't know I had other options. Um, but now, now that we're having this conversation, more trans and non-binary people are finding one another and saying, Hey, like, what if we had language like pronouns that, that actually helped us recognize who we are and be understood. Um, so we're not like cropping up out of nowhere. We've always been here. We just now we're, we're being recognized. Thank you. That is super uh, helpful. I'm sure you deal with people who get really uncomfortable when this conversation comes up, not, not because it's moral. They just realize they, they don't want to do harm. They don't want to misspeak. Mm. They don't want to use a pronoun accidentally. Um, they're not mm-hmm. sure what the, what the consequences are, you know, they just, they're trying to do a good thing. Do do you have any thoughts for people who are are new to this world and are like, Oh man, I, I just literally don't know, um, you know, how to do the right thing here. How do, how how do you advise people who are, who who get really nervous about it and they don't want to then talk about it because people, I don't know, it's just, Mm -hmm. we all have an avoidance or whatever. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I, I just, I, I want to affirm people's intentions and just say, you know, if you're a loving and kind person who doesn't want to make a mistake because you're afraid you're going to hurt somebody, or even if you're afraid you're going to look stupid, um, you know, that's, that's such a human experience and you are not alone in that at all. Um, and I think that there are some, some important things that you can do that are pretty practical. Mm. Um, one is to just like when you're feeling really nervous about this stuff, literally just like take a couple of deep breaths and remember that, um, you know, you're a person in relationship with other people, other people who you're in conversation with have made mistakes, have had to learn. Like there was a time when I was messing up they, them pronouns because I didn't, it was new to me. Um, and, and so like everyone has had to learn this. And I think that, you know, allowing yourself the grace to learn. It's like learning a new language. You literally need to create different neural pathways. Grammar is, is the part of language that we don't think about. Um, It's so structural in how we communicate to one another that it's the part that we kind of do just off the cuff without thinking. We think about the other pieces of our words. Um, I, I'm kind of a linguistics nerd in some other spaces. I will try not to get too much into that, but um, yeah, yeah <laughs> gram grammar is the thing that's supposed to be so um foundational that we we don't actually give it a lot of thought and so reconstructing your foundations of language is very challenging so give yourself some grace in that mm. um and then you can practice um one of the most effective ways to to put yourself in a position to be successfully using other people's pronouns in front of them is to use them in private. Um, mm. So let's say, you know, you have uh, a, a young relative who has come out of the closet as a trans girl and you have used he, him pronouns for this girl her entire life and you're trying to switch, you yeah. know, and you're saying, okay, she, her. 
Walk around your house, talk to your cat, talk to your houseplants about your niece and say, you know, uh, Sheila is so excited for her math competition this weekend. Uh, I am so excited to, uh, to bring Sheila her backpack after school tomorrow. You know, whatever, right? right. Um, practicing those pronouns. Now you can do that with she, her. I know that some folks are, are working on that. Um, and with they, them. And you don't even have to know anybody who uses they, them pronouns. You talk about me. Jonah Overton <laughs> is the pastor of their church, right? Tell that, tell that to your dog. Um, but the more you say that stuff out loud, the more you practice, the more you'll be building that foundation, those neural pathways, mm. so that you can do it when it's important mm. to you in your relationships. And then when you're in your relationships and you mess up, which you will, take another deep breath, correct yourself. You don't have to be overly apologetic. I know the impulse can sometimes be, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. It's, I'm, it's really hard. I'm working on it. It's so hard. You don't need to do any of that. You don't need to do any of that. You can just say, oh, I'm sorry, I meant they. And then and then allow the conversation to continue. You can just correct yourself like you would if you had, you know, said red and meant blue. Um, mm-hmm. and and move on and take a deep breath and assure yourself that you that you are coming to this with love. Um, and trust your relationships to to hold that and to know that as well. But you've you've got this. I I promise. Well, that's beautiful therapy too. Uh, you know, it's just that when things are true in, in many environments, you know that they're really true. And that, that is, that is just spot on. Th- thank you for that. Hey, are, are you familiar with, uh, Peterson Toscano? Do, do you know, I don't believe you know so. Peterson's work? Um, maybe 10 years ago, Peterson did a, a series, a one act play, uh, a one person play. Uh, called uh, Transfigurations, Transgender in the Bible. Mm, wow. This sounds Jonah, like somebody I should it, know. Oh, so good. It It is, a to me, a personally like before and after experience wow. with, with the Bible and, and basically takes certain biblical narratives and uh, invites people to see them through the lens of a non-gender norming circumstance. Uh, That's awesome. Includes uh, Joseph and the and the and the coat. my childhood, the Technicolor dream coat. Um, yeah, Donnie and goes Osmond. on about how uh, you know uh, that there's only one that phrase. The phrase that's used for that is only used one other time in the princess coat. Princess coat. And why do the yeah. brothers hate Joseph so much? And why is Joseph home with the women in the kitchen? And why does you know Potiphar's wife or Potiphar not think that he's a threat? To, okay, so yeah. it doesn't take long, right? Or you run into yeah. Deborah, the, Deborah the judge, and you're like, mm-hmm. okay, Deborah was a female name. There were no female judges, so whatever was going on, mm-hmm. either it was a one-off that someone broke a gender rule or something, and then the phrase that you brought up earlier does this bit on on Jesus telling the disciples to get ready for Passover and tells them to go into town and to find the man carrying the water jars, and mm-hmm. just gently in a beautiful way suggests. There's no culture in the world in which the men fetch the water, right? So, yeah. okay, so what's what's going on? And then you know, gets to the um, uh, the the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, and Philip talking to the mm-hmm. eunuch and saying, you know, the, this sort of non-gender conforming circumstance. Who who is the the eunuch? Says you know, if people, if you're not deep into the Bible, all this is just nonsense, probably right now. <laughs> but um, 
for the listeners. <clears throat> but there's this, the, the, the eunuch is reading this passage out of Isaiah and then says to Philip, who is, who is the prophet talking about here? It's, is the prophet talking about himself or someone else when it says, you know, basically a story of your lifeblood being taken and it says, no, he's speaking of the Christ. And then the eunuch finds the solidarity with Jesus as the Christ in not male nor female. And so you just begin to see, like, as you brought up, not only is there a rich history of this in culture and society, it's also all over the place in, in mm-hmm. our text. And then you don't even get into the letters where, you know, the, the edict to, to set aside our gender binaries are, are the problem and, and let, let women lead in situations that were, that were dominated by men in the, in the temple system. So the, this is just what we, what we do as human beings. And it does make one wonder why the, why the struggle is so deep, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm a 56 year old, um, you know, American, and we've been talking about this since I was a kid. And frankly, it's a little heartbreaking that yeah. when I was 10, 11 years old, I grew up in an apartment complex that had, you know, transgender people we there were lots of names and phrases and words that we used back then for that but culture was kind of coming to grips with it you know and mm-hmm. trying to trying to figure this out and boy there are days where it feels like we've come a long way and days where it's like man we are we're in the 1950s yeah any thoughts on that where we are how we're moving how are <clears throat> how are you experience and i know look we all only have our own life experiences yeah. as our personal reference, but do you, do you have thoughts about this? Like it's in the Bible, it's in our histories, it's been in cultures, it's in our own American culture, so rooted deeply. Yeah. Why is it still so foreign to so many of us? Yeah. You know, I think I, I mentioned before that, that empire, which is my, my shorthand for systems of, of evil and, and domination, mm-hmm. oppression, right? The ways of the world that we are called to topple and to dismantle. Empire has a strategy of decontextualizing and, and separating. You know, we, we talk about salvation sometimes as the reconciliation of all things to God. It's where we're all put in right relationship with one another and God. And empire and the forces of evil just rend, rend us from one another, separate us from each other, from the diversity of God's creation. That's, it's one of the, one of the tried and true strategies of power is, is, you know, separate uh, separate and conquer, right? Divide and conquer. Instead of that unity and diversity that we see in the body of Christ, which says we don't all have to be the same to be unified. We, we in fact are called to be connected to all of these different pieces. That's what makes it beautiful. That's what makes it the body. Um, and yet we've got this kind of mm. dominant narrative that says, actually, you're only safe. You're only okay. It's only valuable if everything's identical, if everything's homogenous. Um, and, and, you know, trans people are, are a minority population. Um, we, right. we will never be as common as men or women who are cisgender. Um, and, uh, and in the cultures that have held space for multiple expressions of gender, we see a disproportionate amount of, uh, of what in our context would be understood as transgender or gender nonconforming, non-binary people being uh, religious leaders, being healers, being shamans, being wow. extra spiritual, and you know that's that's my experience too, right? Like I'm a, I, it, it's fascinating how many 
transgender and non-binary and or gender non-conforming religious leaders are out there, even in our really hostile world um, where religion has been weaponized against uh, queer and trans people. Um, but you look around and how many of us have deep spiritual identities and, and many of many have alternative spiritual identities because the church is not a safe place. Um, especially Christianity is not a safe place. So, but, but what if God has imbued trans and non-binary people with a different kind of relationship, a different mm. kind of perspective and access to spiritual understanding that has been recognized over and over again in other cultures throughout history and time. Right. Um, that's deeply threatening to empire. Mm. You know, Jesus and empire are squarely against one another. And so when mm. we can mm. connect to the spiritual truths of, uh, uh, of freedom, liberation, love, and salvation, when we can see that the kingless kingdom of Jesus Christ is what, what the true promise is and that all the kingdoms and empires of the world are shams, right? That's very threatening. Um, oh. and so. You know, if empire can come in and cut us off from that truth, cut us off from our spiritual leaders, um, instruct us to kind of uh, buckle down on rigid expectations of gender roles and gender performance. If if empire can tell women, oh, you are only allowed to be this. If empire can tell men, oh, you are only allowed to be this. I mean, think about how threatening it is to culture to our current culture and to our empire dominance driven culture when men are are too feminine right yep. like that gets shut down immediately mm -hmm. and i think that when we have people who are transgressing those boundaries so thoroughly as trans people do as non-binary people do it gives freedom even to cisgender men and women to kind of examine how much of my gender identity is given to me by God and an expression of who I am and how much of it is a performance so that I won't be threatening to empire. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons that systems of oppression, systems of power um, would really like to keep us a little more reined in. Um, and, and again, that, that's not just trans people, right? That's, that's cisgender people too. That's yeah. non-trans people too. So, yeah, the power, that's, the, you know, the Thank you so much. So, so insightful, and the, the power of gender roles—it's—it's um, it's significant. You know, we 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 see it I, as more as a teenager, maybe more in the eighties. This was true. Um, there was all this struggle with like rock musicians, mm, often yeah. male. Right? I mean, it doesn't take long when you just Bowie, say eighties eighties yeah. hair band, right? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, and, and, sure. And, and the rock people, you know, with makeup and and not just kiss, kiss yeah. but, but, you know, just sort of across the board and that, I don't know, it's, I watch people, I'm just going to rant for one second, I watch people literally sing along with rock musicians from the 70s and 80s who are yeah. being told that they're not gender appropriate mm. at events where then they're going to call for banning yeah. gender um, yeah. uh, non-conforming actions and practices. It's just, it is truly... Is truly yeah. shocking, and and I just want to say this: some sometimes, sometimes these issues are derivative, right? Like there's really some bad mm. thinking, and it leads to some bad uh, ideas. And sometimes people are just just using ideas, 
And mm. I really think there's a group of people for political purposes and power purposes who are using, abusing of transgender and transgender identities Absolutely. and non-conforming for other things altogether. They actually, that's not actually yeah. the thing that they're doing. They're ginning yeah. it up for other, for other purposes. And I'll just say to anybody who f- thinks that's happening, it's extremely harmful to people because yeah. not, not everybody is sort of non-conforming just in a rock musician performance way. Um, gender means different things to different people. And some of us, it sits more, more deeply in our sense of ourselves. And for some, it feels more different, more distant. And when a system comes down on a young kid or an older person and just says, you will be excluded, punished or something. If you don't, if you don't conform, that doesn't land on everyone quite the same. And there's just the, the, the record is clear of how damaging it can be, which is why I believe that hearing voices like yours, churches like yours, all churches that are not only like, of course, we're open to all the letters of the alphabet and colors of the rainbow, right? For sure. But people that actually mm-hmm. take seriously non-binary and transgender realities, that's a, that's a discipleship pro- process for people to be in. If you're in, if you're in church worlds, like helping people get used to that. I, I used to be a pastor of a church and Absolutely. in our first year we had transgender uh, person there. And then uh, over time, a, a number of them. And it was, I mean, watching people 20 years ago be like kids and stuff, looking at someone trying to figure out, like, you know, just trying to break their little kid mm-hmm. brain, like what's going on here. And we wanted to take that as, yeah, this is this, we, we want to help you develop the capacity to navigate these systems, right? In the normalcy of just the rest of our life at a community dinner and, you know, someone just at church, just Doing this in that normal kind of way is is as important, I think, and, and and beautiful as the more deliberate recognitions that we need to have to call out issues of gender in in certain particular ways. Do, do, do you feel that same way in, in what you all do? Oh, yeah, ZOMKE, just sort of the the normalizing as the act of rewriting the neural pathways. Yeah, yeah. I you know I think it's. Uh, there are a lot of straight cisgender people who come to Zao um, or listen to our podcast because they want, they just want to have more trans voices in their life. Or even more so, we have folks bringing their kids, saying, I want my kids to grow up knowing trans adults and having good relationships, right? right. You know, I. I think that building relationship, knowing people, caring about people, having a context um, for what what even these politicians are talking about when they're they're kind of drumming up this terror, um, relationship can be so protective against against that kind of violent propaganda. I think you mentioned on the on the podcast a couple of weeks ago that that there's data that suggests that the the trans population for people in this country age 13 or older is about 1.6 million. Let's even say that that. That's a, an extremely low estimate because I think that, again, there are a lot of us who just have not felt safe or had the language or the connection, the community to kind of come out of the woodwork, identify ourselves. Let's just, mm-hmm. let's, let's be really generous and say we'll double that. There's, you know, three million trans people in this country. Well, that's still less than 1% of the population. Right. And a very terrifying parallel that one of my colleagues drew for me the other day was to remind me that um, in the 1930s in Germany, the population of Jews in the country was slightly less than 1%. Mm. Um, it is a 
a really effective strategy for people in power to mobilize almost everyone against an infinitesimally infinitesimally small group of vulnerable people and to say, they're the ones, they're the ones that are causing all of your problems. They're the ones that are coming for your kids. They're the ones that, you know, that we need to, because if you don't know anyone, Mm -hmm. it's hard to dispute that boogeyman, that, that cartoon, that caricature that's being painted for you. Um, And I think that, you know, the, the way that the Nazis were able to vilify a very small population um, was based on uh, saying, hey, almost all of you are not this. So the problem is this. Mm-hmm. And one of the few protections we have now um, that that trans people are the ones being targeted. Um, although, you know, of course, it, it always spreads, right? Tr- queer and trans people were targeted in Nazi Germany as well. Um, but... Uh, you know, trans people, by God's good grace, are sprinkled throughout the population. Hmm. Um, we have the protection of not being an ethnic enclave, um, but but being, you know, your your kid, your cousin, mm-hmm. your nephew, your neighbor. Um, and I think that really intentionally fostering any connections you have with trans people, including public figures, right? Including uh, engaging in this, you know, seeing that play, engaging in this, this um, artwork, um, listening to these podcasts. Um, I have, I have another podcast called Jonah and the Peacock where we've brought in um, a number of people from, from different with different sets of identities to kind of share their perspectives. When you can hear the voices of trans people in your life and know that they, and have that voice be stronger than the voice telling you, you know, that trans people are a menace um, or a sickness that that's really protective. Um, Mm. And, and you can combat that propaganda with relationship and say like, actually uh, my niece is awesome, (laughs) you know, and I love her Um, or, you know, my cousin is amazing and they, um, they are not the thing that you say they are and their pronouns matter, you know? Hmm. So good. So good. And Jonah and the Peacock, one of the great titles for a podcast uh, <laughs> ever. Congratulations uh, on Thank that one. Thank you. Uh, Jonah, anything else people should know is our church. They can Z-A-O-M-K-E dot yeah, org. Yeah, Z-A-O-M-K-E dot org. Um, you know, we, like I mentioned, we stream live on Sundays, 10 a.m. Central um, on Facebook and YouTube. Um and we do have a strong online community. And so if you're, if you're thinking of dropping in on a church where we're one where we're, we're used to online visitors, even if you're not local to Milwaukee. Um, and, and those podcasts, you know, if you want more queer and trans voices in your life, um, I do recommend Jonah and the Peacock is a good place to start. It's a long form, um, show, uh, just detailing people's narratives, helping people reorient specifically to the scripture. So um, I, I'm so curious about um, what, can you mention that name again? Peterson, what was their last name? Yeah. Peterson Toscano, T-O-S-C-A-N-O. Peterson Toscano.com is the website. Yeah. Um, that There's at least a DVD. There used to be a streaming of it, uh, of this thing called trans uh, transfigurations. Um, That's amazing. I yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna check that out. It. Yeah, I I think that you know that that work of reimagining the Bible from a perspective of a non dominant identity that's like one of my biggest passions. That's what what Jonah and the Peacock is about. So we've got one season of that out, just eleven episodes. Um, but we also have my partner. Uh, he's come up. Uh, 
kind of in background here, Cameron. He is a, a trans man. And the two of us have a podcast. It's been on hiatus a little while, coming back with new episodes in June. But we have 26 episodes are already out called Christian Queries, um, with queries spelled like <laughs> queer, queries. Um and uh, we take questions from people. So if you have questions that you'd like to hear discussed by two queer and trans Christian pastors, you can always uh, submit questions to the podcast. Um, and if you'd like to hear, you know, our discussions on 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 faith and and what those kinds of things mean to me um, and to Cameron, um, you know, we've we've got more content there. That one's a shorter form, kind of uh, lighter energy, you know, 20, 30 minute episodes. Um, but yeah, I really encourage people to just include more more trans voices in your life so that you know i mean even things like these conversations where they're talking about like oh kids are identifying as cats and dogs and saying they want to you know litter boxes in schools that that's propaganda like that's not happening and so many people don't know that um it's just not happening Mm -hmm. but if you if you know enough trans people to kind of understand what the nature of those gender conversations are about you just have a better radar if you're listening to trans people talk and and integrating their voices into your life you just have a better you know bs detector for that kind of propaganda mm-hmm. so um so yeah if you want to engage with the spiritual community zaomke.org um if you want the podcast uh, you can find those on the website as well christian queries and jonah and the peacock That's so good thank you Thanks for being with us today and for all your Thank you. participation and all of our shenanigans and do-goodery that we like to Anytime. Uh, like to be a part Love of. y'all. Yeah, we'll have to right. find, a, find a reason to come to Milwaukee again soon. Yes. Oh, please. Please. There's, there's many. So good to be with you. All right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Thanks, everybody. We'll, uh, we'll be back tomorrow talking about the debt. Boring stuff like that. All right. <laughs> we'll see ya. Okay. <laughs> Talk about long form. Oh, feel really long. <laughs> yeah. Form. All right. We'll see ya. Thanks, everybody. Bye.